Peace, y'all. This is your boy Jay, a.k.a. The Hip Hop Taliban, here to let you know that this episode of the podcast ran a little long, so I split it into two parts. Part one dropping right now. Part two will follow right behind it. So enjoy these lively, vigorous debates between myself, The Professor, and Black Cloud. Coming at you. Here we go. The following program contains strong language and is intended only for mature audiences. Check one, check two, check one, check two. Ladies and gentlemen, B-boys, B-girls, B-men, B-women. This your boy Jay, a.k.a. JC, a.k.a. JC, the a.k.a. Law T, a.k.a. the Hip Hop Taliban. And this is the Get Off My Lawn podcast. Don't call it a comeback, but we're here. And I didn't come alone. I got my man live from the back of the house. Black Cloud, where you at? <laughs> what it means, what's going on? I'm definitely in the back of the house in New York City. And it's blazing where I'm at. Blazing. I think it's like 94 degrees, 93 degrees right now. Damn. It's 1030 yeah. at night. Yeah, no, I gotta, I gotta check. But it's, it's, it's hot, it's humid. And I'm, I'm in an area of the house that uh, has no AC because I'm banished to a back room where there's no AC because... Uh, my wife always tells me that I'm too loud when I do the podcast. Ah, I see, I see. And then we also got my man on the fresh headset, sounding sounding extra clean, extra nice, bringing that beautiful baritone. The professor, AB, where you at? Yeah, trying to keep it crispy. Um, Doctor Belk, aka the People's Prof, aka a boogie with the doctoral hoogie. You can find me on Twitter and IG at abjrphd. And y'all up there in NYC with those uh, South Carolina daytime temperatures, man. That's real. That's real hot. <laughs> ridiculous, man. Y'all blazing for real, man. 
Well, I'll, let's say this. The last podcast we did together, because um, I dropped one in, in between, the last one we did together was at sort of the onset. We were in the early weeks of the pandemic, and we were thinking like, okay, the pandemic's probably all we're going to have to uh, deal with this summer. And lo and behold, I mean, the world, if it was already upside down, it turned inside out. Um, and it's just been a wild few months. Everything is changing in the process of changing. Some things for the better, some things for the worse. But how you all been? Because, uh, I mean, I know a lot's been going on. So, A.B., I know in particular, I've seen you all over the place representing, making us proud. Uh, tell us just sort of what's been going on with you since we last uh, met up. Man, from the end of May with the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, but especially since the televised public execution of George Floyd, I've been on local area shows out of the charlotte metropolitan area i've been on the paul feinbaum show i've had interviews with folks in belgium man there's a newspaper overseas that's been really interested in what's been happening with the movement for black lives in the united states and efforts to reform policing and so i've done a couple of hits with them and then at my own university i've done some programs man looking at systemic racism in the larger society but then thinking more critically about what we can do to improve our own university i've also done some stuff with the south carolina education association so it's been something every week for the last eight weeks strong um and i would be remiss if didn't work into this conversation the passing of two major figures in the modern civil rights movement ct vivian and john lewis who both passed away on july 17th and john lewis's death in particular hit me really hard and i think part of it might have been you know i've been mourning the passing of one of my good friends from graduate school who died on june 1st and then three days later one of our syracuse brothers passed away from cancer ramir green mm. and so that was sitting with me heavy and then when John Lewis is passing, it unexpectedly hit me hard because of what he represented. You know, he was like, if 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 the movement were my space, he would have been in King's top eight. Mm. You know, if you talk about who's on your favorites list on your in your contacts, he would have been in King's favorites list, right? Like that was a little brother. You know, John Lewis one time somebody really tried to come at him about King, and John Lewis is like, listen, um, he was my mentor. He was my friend. He was my brother. And knowing that my entire life, personal and professional, was made possible through the sacrifices of people like John Lewis and Diane Nash and those young people that were part of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Um, I couldn't even bring myself to watch the funeral live because it hit too heavy. So yeah, there's been a lot going on and sometimes it's really heavy, but then I have to think one, I must honor the bridge that allowed me to cross and two, 
I draw strength from some of the things that I see with these young people who are really about that action and have a low tolerance for foolishness. And so that's been encouraging. Yeah. <clears throat> now, the the other name you mentioned, it didn't ring a bell off the top. Can you just... Uh... C.T. Vivian um, was... Like, John Lewis was one of the student leaders at the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. He was the youngest person to speech, speak at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. You know, he did that at 23. Mm-hmm. You know, King comes into the movement in Alabama at age 26, but he is an older man in 1963 at the march, right? He came into the movement in 55. John Lewis is 23 years old, addressing a crowd of 250,000 people, right? Well, C.T. Vivian was one of the foot soldiers who put in work in places like Alabama and confronted people like um, Sheriff Clark who was you know he was famous for wearing a button on his lapel pin that said never as in you will never have integration you will never have the right to vote and ct vivian is one of the people who confronted him and was jailed as a freedom rider and everything else so he was also one of those major figures in the movement and those two men passed on the same day mm. damn Oh, man yeah it's been it's yeah it's been it's been heavy and then uh you know what's your uh, university doing with regard to school have they figured it out are they in as much confusion and disarray as most other institutions around the country i think what you have at my university and other colleges and universities around the country is people working on contingencies Mm-hmm. What will we do if this happens? What will we do if this happens? What will we do if this happens? And for my own part, they've made their plans. I've made my own plan. Right. And my attitude has been, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. Mm. And I've done the things that I can do as an instructor to make sure that if they hit the switch and say, we're going online and staying online. I'll be okay. Right. So we've had prep classes that we could take through our Office of Online Learning. I've completed both of those. I'm now officially certified. We're starting our semester online and we'll be online until September 8th. And then we'll see what happens afterward. There's this little agricultural school up the road called Clemson University. They're going to be online until September 21st. (laughs) And other institutions that are big South affiliated, and that's the athletic conference that are kind of peer institutions in some respect. Hampton University said they're going to be online for the entire fall. And you've had other universities across the country that said they're going to be all online for the entire fall. For universities, you know, some are too big to fail. So Clemson will be here. University of South Carolina will be here. Harvard will be here. So on and so forth. Right. Others are not too big to fail. And so they're finding themselves having to deal with what is clearly a major public health crisis that has been exacerbated by inept political leadership and also dealing with what are the financial ramifications of that public health crisis. If your enrollment drops, and you don't get revenue from people living in the dorms and having meal plans that's going to hit your pockets hard right and that has significant ramifications in the short and long term so universities are holding their breath right now man people are shook and they have reason to be shook 
because there are the well-established public health concerns. You don't want people getting sick. You don't want people dying. You don't want to be the place where someone dies on your campus because that's where they got exposed. No one wants that scenario. Um, And at the same time, people don't want to go out of business because Rona took them out. Yeah, exactly. And Dre, so, I mean, you're... um you know, much of everything that you do is based on being on locations and around people. And I know a lot of entertainment related things outside of animation have been just sort of shut down and put on hold. Where, where are you at? How have you been? Well, I mean, it's been, it's been, as far as production, everything's been cool. So a lot of, a lot of work from home stuff. I've, I've been blessed that I was able to set up my work from home. I've had the ability to work from home, edit from home, produce Esque from home for a couple of years so you know i, I was kind of set up and ready and i had a you know a client or two who already looked to me to do stuff from home so um some of it's technically a secret some of it isn't but you know just so you get a chance to like edit from home produce from home and then um people are mostly seeing the effects of you know the ad hoc grab your own camera shoot from your shoot on your own phone stuff now when you're watching television i know you we've all seen the commercials they obviously shot with a cell phone there's some stuff you know the lighting's not great even some of the local news stations some of the uh anchors are shooting from home so you kind of see that stuff now but i mean i've been blessed enough to you know be able to work from home be able to produce and then i'm using a lot of this time to kind of get my own stuff done I, you know a ton of stuff that I was supposed to be writing that you know I get clients and I'm working and I'm running back and forth in New York City and we're doing all of this stuff I never get a chance to do it so I've you know kind of used use this time to write get some stuff down on paper and you know it's keeping me sane because this world has been crazy and so you know especially you know if you're not in the right headspace it's hard to create and write happy things or, or right. even just fun stuff when, you know, you see your brothers and sisters dying and being killed by cops and, you know, you got federal stormtroopers shooting people with pepper spray and gassing people in Portland. And so, you know, it's tough. You, know, you see all this stuff all day, every day. It's like, you don't, you know, you don't want to make fun stuff. You just want to go out there and freedom fight. Yeah, I hear you. Well, as for me, it's been... Along the lines of uh, what Adolphus was saying, because my first job of the day, I worked with a um, a nonprofit based in Maryland that uh, does work around college access and admissions, and everything's been thrown into the air. And so we're still working with the students, but when you are when you're business model is based on the generosity of the donor class and the economy is in free fall and spinning uh there's no guarantee that um those deep pockets are going to be as uh, generous as they were in previous years so um you know we're still still making it through but i have to have my eye long term just in case uh something turns and then my second job is um, with the public school district out here in LA and putting all your baskets in education. Mm-mm. 
<laughs> not good. So they have little to no idea what they're doing. They're scrambling around, uh, making some last-minute plans. It's clear that the people who are getting those six-figure salaries uh, were busy collecting checks and not putting in enough work. Um, I give them a pass for being caught off guard in the spring because everybody was, nobody expected this, but in the months that followed for them to still be as flat-footed and in as much uh, confusion and disarray, now just willing to throw teachers and staff and uh, other support service people pretty much to the wolves, under the bus. There's, they're, they're throwing them under the bus and under the bus there's wolves. And uh, it's just ridiculous. So uh, the program that I do is um, it's a STEM, STEAM program. And I've just been spending the last few months uh, switching it up to move it online and trying to get a uh, high quality broadcast. I've had to watch hours of children's TV going back to uh, the days of our youth, uh, coming up to what's current. Um, had to take crash courses in green screens and streaming and lighting and all kinds of things. So things are moving. Um, like Adolfo said, I can't wait around for them to tell me that I have to change. Um, you know, adapt and uh, move forward where I think that that's that hip hop comes out. You know, there is no way. So you make a way. And uh, I heard that. So I think, oh, go ahead. But I, one, one of the things that bothers me is about the whole education system is them throwing the teachers under the bus like that. To me, it's like there's they want to rush students to me. I rush students back into schools or whatever. But I'm like, you have to care about the teachers. Like you have, you have to care about the people you employ, like their health as well as the, cause I see a lot of people saying, well, you know, the, the infection rate and the death rate amongst the children isn't that bad. And I'm like, but you have a ton of older people who are teaching <laughs> right. these kids. Like Dude, what happens to them? What happens to their families? Like the, the that's, death that's the rate, the death rate is not bad for children because in March, when this started to hit hard, they pulled the children out of the schools. Thank you. Exactly. 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 So and we, now you want to return them when rates are worse. Right. Right. Exactly. It, it's crazy. Yeah. And so I'm reading I'm reading an article today and they were saying and I'm probably gonna quote it wrong and somebody's gonna get mad at me, but I was reading an article today about the infection rate on children and apparently the way the virus attacks children is different from when it attacks adults in that there are more cells that multiply in children, but they just affect you in a different way. So apparently it holds like five times it's like five times the potency, but it's all spread out. It's like watered down within the body, but the body's full of it. So then when it goes, when it, when it gets transferred to somebody who's older, who has older cells, it hits you even harder. Jeez. And so I'm reading this, I'm like, wait. And so I'm, I'm sure there's a doctor or somebody's gonna read and say, actually, Andre, you got it a little bit wrong, but that's, that's the gist of it. And so there's no way. And so this fall coming up, you know, I'm getting, surveys and stuff from my local you know board of education and you know my my wife and i decided we're we're opting out we're just like no we're just not not sending my daughter to school she's gonna be in middle school 
which is you know kids walking the halls like i mean yeah you can't trust you can't trust you can't trust kids walking the halls like are you kidding me with masks on team what's happening right now you're seeing that the economy for some is being placed over the well-being of people and if you're going to fully reopen the economy you need the schools because people rely on schools for childcare. Right. You're also seeing that people are relying on the schools for nutrition because you have schools where children qualify for free or reduced breakfast and lunch. They get two of their meals daily at school. Yeah. And so those families are reliant on the public schools, not just for education, but for sustenance and then to be able to work themselves. So they're going to put the children in the schools to be able to get the adults back to work. And, you know, there are things that other societies have done that have allowed them to mitigate the spread, flatten the curve, and then slowly reopen different aspects of their society. All this talk about American exceptionalism and we got caught flat footed. There was a great deal of denial about the severity of the problem too long to go into things like requiring people to wear masks and practice physical distancing and you still have people even in the highest levels of the federal and state governments who believe the virus is a hoax just recently like today herman cain died yeah herman cain businessman from atlanta proud morehouse graduate presidential candidate in the 2012 cycle herman cain went to the rally in tulsa oklahoma trump had a rally in oklahoma on june 20th he went to that rally sometime after he was diagnosed with COVID-19. Herman Cain was in the hospital for like the next five weeks. Right. And he died today at the age of 74 from complications from COVID. There's a representative from Texas, uh, Louis Gomer, and he liked to talk about how the virus was a hoax. He's now positive, And he tried to suggest that he caught the virus from his mask. So yeah. you still have people who, in the face of evidence, 150,000 Americans dead and many more sick and infected, they still think it's a hoax. So even though Major League Baseball has come back and the NBA has come back and that's going to mean something for the people who work in industries that rely on those activities, it's almost like we don't deserve it because we didn't do the group project. We had one job. You know, right. they asked my grandfather to go to Japan during World War II. They sent my father to Vietnam in the late 1960s, early 1970s. They asked me to wear a mask and stay home. And we out here acting like that's a problem. Yeah. And if you notice, what, well, what I happen to notice is that it wasn't until the uh, news started coming out and the data and the information started coming out showing that... Uh, Blacks and Latinos and essentially people of color, poor people, were being disproportionately affected that white people start shouting about their liberty and their rights and their freedom and government overreach. Once they knew that, oh, oh, it's affected. Oh, it's a New York City thing. Oh, it's a it's it's attacking black people. We're good. We need our freedom. Liberate us. OK, well. Yeah, and they're not even arguing for the freedom to work, right? Because some people are really in a bind where they're like, listen, if I miss, you know, most Americans are one paycheck away from financial disaster. Yep. 
regardless of their social class, right? So I kind of get that. But they're not even arguing for, I need to go to work so I can support my family. It's, I want to go to the salon. I want a haircut. I want to go to the movies. They're <laughs> right. demanding other people serve them, mm-hmm. which is a whole different level of privilege. Yeah, because those people don't and, count. Those people are disposable. Right. And people, I said on April 13th that what we're seeing now is that people are willing to put others at risk to serve their needs and interests and they're perfectly fine with you going out there and contracting the rona because they for them and if we look at where the american economy is right now there was a report that came out today we just had the worst quarter since 1958 1958 the economy the gross domestic product went down about 10 percent in this last quarter GDP went down almost 33%. So there are people who are losing big time in this, right? But an economy can recover. When these lives are gone, they are never coming back. And people will mourn them for the rest of their days when you talk about 150,000 Americans gone. Where I live, South Carolina, like, yo, my parents are in New York. I couldn't go see my parents right now if I wanted to because New York is like, nah, y'all a hot spot. You can't come up here and just stroll through the streets of New York like it's all good. So, so we, on the, we on the cooties list. Yeah. And, and if South Carolina were a country, this would be one of the... Th- three or four worst places in the world for COVID-19. So this is no joke. People need to take it seriously. It's preposterous that we're saying to teachers and children, yeah, y'all go ahead and go on on out there. And, you know, the fatality rate is only, you know, point whatever percent for children. And it's like, yeah, that sounds real good theoretically until it's your child. And like my homie Dre, yo, we went through too much to have this family to roll the dice with our children's lives. It ain't happening. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. And it's interesting because the last uh, podcast we did, I believe, was the one <clears throat> where we played that clip of uh, Scarface. Oh, and, right? And he was talking about like how he had it and how it affected him. And he was like, it's no joke. And that was in the early days. And uh, yeah, it's, it, man. And what you're really looking at, right? Like, black people and brown people are being hit really hard by the disease because we have some of the ailments that predispose us to risk and those ailments are not related to our race or ethnicity per se it's really a reflection of poverty it's social class you know people are more likely to have respiratory problems that's a function of social class more likely to have diabetes and all these other things that put us at risk and that was the the, the case with scarface yeah. you know that he has certain pre-existing health conditions that made him especially susceptible to a bad illness if he contracted COVID, and he did and that put him in a in a rough place like it almost killed him and even with these testimonies we have people who act as though it's not real until it pierces their circle right until it comes to their block or their house otherwise it's liberal marxist propaganda and it's not real and what's wild there was a story in usa today about what's happening with the nba and how there are you know covid truthers in the professional leagues 
including the NBA and especially in Major League Baseball. So what's going to happen when you try to bring back those sports and they're not in the bubble like the NBA where they're trying to have control over people and where they go and what they do and how they do it and you're MLB and you just had an outbreak with the Marlins down in Florida. Right. And they had to shut stuff down. You know, what's going to happen when the NFL tries to come back and they have an outbreak because people think, well, I'm physical distancing, but I'm just having over my friends and family because I can trust them. And it's like, are you sure? Man. Just even that idea that baseball is still traveling. Like, come on, man. It's just, it's out of control. But, you know, people are finding new ways to do things, being forced to. And uh, one of the new newest things that I haven't I haven't necessarily seen before is our brother Talib Kweli has decided that he is going to drop his new album via Patreon and so for those who aren't familiar Patreon is a way that you can monetize your online content your podcasts or what have you your vlogs so what he has is he's set up on his Patreon there's different tiers so if you go to the $10 a month tier, then you can actually um, be one of the first people to hear his brand new album. And that's fantastic. However, he is going to drop one single every month for the next 12 months. If you join his Patreon, uh, it says it includes Discord benefits. It's an app where you can uh, chat about different things. Access to the community. I don't know what that means. Exclusive first access to the new Talib Kweli album, Cultural Currency. Uh, monthly patron-only episodes of Vibrate Higher. So I guess that's uh, another podcast or something he has. Exclusive Cultural Currency sticker. Uh Quali curations. I don't know what that means. Uh, maybe he makes you a playlist and another exclusive sticker. So that's what you get. Now, the album is only going to be available on Patreon. Uh, again, the minimum, there's a $10 per month uh, thing you have to pay to join in. Or there's a $25 per month thing um, that includes a signed copy of uh, a record and some other stuff but let's stick with this $10 model so if you join this he's going to drop one album a month for the next 12 months so ultimately you are paying $120 for a Talib Kweli album now I wouldn't pay $120 for his entire catalog on record tape and cassette I guess tape and cassette the same thing. <laughs> CD. No, my brother. Be <laughs> He must be. Oh. I mean, I've never been. Like, I love everything he's about. He's intelligent. He's one of the uh, great spokespeople and representatives for hip hop culture. But as an MC. Back a little bit. Yeah, not anymore. Oh. Okay, well, I don't know what he said we, late. Okay, we we're going gonna to have to walk that back a no, little bit, but, no, but go no. on. All right, well. Continue. 
with the caveat in the asterisk. Tell why you like him so much so we can set that straight. Yeah, with the caveat and the asterisk, okay. But my thing is, as an MC, it has driven me crazy from day one that he doesn't stay on the beat. And I can't <laughs> fuck around with MCs who can't stay on the goddamn... Stay on the beat. You had one job. Stay on the beat. Now, um... You know, I've caught some episodes of his podcast where he's interviewing different um, different uh, hip-hop figures, but apparently he's done something that's um, <laughs> noteworthy that I missed. So please, well, first of all, before you tell me what he did wrong, tell me, would you pay $120 for a Talib Kweli album? Crickets. Not, not at all. And see, the thing about it is that I can't think of many people, performers, that I would pay that much for an album. Any, anybody, like across the board. Like, I can't think of many places where I would be like, all right, I'm going to join your Patreon to get one song a month. Like, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't fathom that. Like, I mean, when Prince was alive, I, I wouldn't and I couldn't even do it there. Like I, it just doesn't make much sense to me to do that. Like you would have to. I don't. There's so much music out there today, and I'm a big Prince fan. So Talib Kweli has got to be. Now he's not the bottom of the barrel. He might be like, well, he might be towards the middle of the barrel of artists that you know I want to hear from. But now less so. But I'll let. The professor talk before we destroy yeah. him in a minute damn he must have said some crazy I, I must have been off i don't know where i was but yeah first start off with would you pay f this much for a quality album and is there any artist that you would pay this price to hear that's a no for me dog <laughs> now and was it was it wait was it a no. no before he did whatever it is that you guys are going to tell me he did oh no nah, that was that was a no just on principle <laughs> got it like there are some people who transcend the time out of which they emerged right mm -hmm. and there are others where they're sort of defined in that time and it's kind of hard to break out we were introduced to him through raucous and black star and he has some good solo projects his greatest popular release was just to get by and you can see him trying to return to that template with the follow-up track with mary j blige a couple of years later um and it seemed like he sort of struggled with being known as a conscious rapper but also wanting to be kind of hardcore in some ways like he made the song about guns with who was it um smith and wesson or coco brothers i think so yeah so so he was all over the place right but if that's the way you're going to come out you better be that dude because if you're not that dude you look inauthentic or worse you look fraudulent so you know black cloud and i we, we up here like yeah it's time to pull receipts like this dude got kicked out of a nightclub for beefing with his wife right this oh. dude is known for harassing women on social media who have said things about him like he he would search his name and if people said something about him like i'm not even talking about people adding him if people had said something about him he would get into these long twitter beefs with people who had said something critical 
of him in some kind of way and there was this one black woman recently he went after her for like two weeks and he got banned from twitter what and so then that happens and then he comes through and releases this album on this other platform now there's the nipsey hustle angle right like you you drive up the price by creating a feeling of exclusivity and people will want to have your product because it says something about them that they could afford to have that product right so if you release something and charge people a hundred dollars for it and you only release so many you've created exclusivity but and i respect the nipsey for doing the way he the way he did it yeah when nipsey was doing it he was on a come up nipsey was hot in the streets right i like the i like the way he did it and i still didn't pay for crenshaw the hundred dollar (laughs) mixtape right i digress so yeah like it's 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 funny right because we think of him as a conscious rapper and that's that's the stuff that we would think of as being on brand but in real life the behavior that's been on brand for him has been harassing black women and women of color on social media getting into these public arguments with his wife and all these other things that are just unbecoming of a man who's pushing 50. wow right Right, and he and he kept doubling down. And there's a woman who who I guess tweeted about um, rappers specifically marrying or dating dark skinned black women, and so his name got thrown into the mix. And I mean, in in the mix of several rappers, though, it wasn't like it was pointed at him. It was a a, a long list of rappers who. Who, who seem like they only mess with light, lighter skinned women. Mm-hmm. And he and apparently Quali did his Quali thing of, you know, searching his name. And then, you know, for like, like the professor said, two weeks just harassing this one sister, sending his followers after this one person continually. Wow. Over, over some nonsense. So even when she's battling back at him and saying stuff back to him, then he's shouting her down and basically getting getting his boys to jump her. Wow. And so and so, at, so it gets to a point where and you know and I, I've seen um, a couple of people that I follow who are you know activists, um, women, black women who are mm-hmm. activists or or you know or vocal, and they've tried to have this teaching this teachable moment with him. They tried. Where they were like, listen, you have to understand that what you're doing isn't right, et cetera, et cetera. You should just apologize. Like, don't and he's barked back at them. Wow. So it's just like, listen, fam, I don't know what you I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know what you're into. I don't know if you you're trying to play the Twitter troll thing and is and is backfiring, but yeah. you look crazy. Like he looked so crazy. Yeah, it's one thing for your mentions to get flooded because people are adding you and critiquing you. It's an entirely different thing when you're out here searching your name, looking for beef, and then you're punching down, going after these people who don't have your followership, who don't have your clout as a public figure and as an important person in hip-hop right like let's not sell his accomplishment short he was a part right. of something really important that mattered to a whole lot of people right yeah and he put out some good work over the course of his career but right. now you look like a, a caricature 
And when we talk about, you know, when I'm teaching Introduction to African-American Studies, one of the things that I have my students read is this short essay by Abby Lincoln from 1966 titled Who Will Revere the Black Woman? Mm-hmm. And in that piece, she talks about all of the struggles that black women are made to endure, including being rejected by the one thing that she might love, who is a reflection of herself, a, a black man who is heaping insult upon injury by abusing her verbally and physically and all these things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now you're looking like that dude when you sort of made a career as an MC about not being that dude calling that dude out holding that dude accountable right and now you've become that thing that you've critiqued wow yeah See, my, and my, my thing ahead. is especially with you know with him punching down like it's one thing that if you search your name and he saw you know 50 cent talking bad about him right so you know you have you know the bully of all hip-hop bullies talking bad about you or somebody you know with way more followers and then you know in in they're high on the hog and then you punch it up and you you know you battling this person talking about you but you're talking he's he's aiming at a young sister who's just on twitter and 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 making a and it's not like she made a false point when she was talking she's making a, a good point she's making a good point there's colorism in our community we know it right and it, and we know it, and so now he's just going. With the, and, he, and, it was just, and the thing about it is that it wasn't the first time. It was like the twentieth time that he's, or more, that he's going at people. And I, and I only know about it because I don't follow him on anything. I only yeah. know about it because I keep seeing people react to it. And after a while, I'm just like, well, you know, if he's doing, and this is always my rule, like if, if this person's annoying you so much just don't follow like don't listen to them you know pay them no mind but Dude, when it this comes, is no, this no, is Thanos comes, come oh go ahead go ahead no 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 but when it came when it came when it came to this situation when i kept seeing it and i was like wait what is he doing so I, of course i went to his timeline and i see him just consistent like tweet after tweet after tweet of him talking badly to this system i'm like what the hell is he doing and of course you know i'm even lower than her followership so i'm like anything i say is not won't be seen anyway right. so i hit a couple people on the side like yo tell this dude to chill and the other people who were in his realm to tell him to chill was like he's not listening to anybody oh no wow he's not yeah, this, like, he's not listening this is wild man like this is this is Thanos coming to planet Earth, and instead of wrecking shop with Iron Man and Captain America and all these other folk, he like bring me Happy Hogan. <laughs> it's interesting because I'm not on Twitter all that often, but when I first got onto Twitter, my first Twitter beef was with Mr. Quali because he was supposed he and Most Def were supposed to perform at a Rock the Bells concert. I went specifically to see them because they were the only act on the bill that hadn't been uh, performed, hadn't performed together in a while. And I think I paid like a premium for those tickets. And long story short, they didn't show up. So they showed up late, but the festival was on a schedule. So Cypress Hill was about to go on. So Cypress Hill let most deaf come out and spit a little freestyle or something and then he had to get off the stage and they did their set 
So I went on Twitter and was hot and I wanted an answer. And he responded back with something like to the effect of he didn't he didn't owe me an answer. And I was like, the fuck you do? You owe me an answer or some money? Who do you think you are? And so it went back and forth a little. And then he blocked me. And the end. My next Twitter beef was with Kid Frost. But I'll save that for a, another date. Um, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You uh, beefing with La Rosa? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he put out some song, some new single at the time. And he was... um. He was biting the beat, and it was an obscure beat, but he bit the beat nonetheless. And I was like, when did that become okay? And then he cursed me out, and, you know, and that was that. And then my other beef was with, um, what was that guy? Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Oh, man, what was that guy? So, he had that West Coast song, I could give it to you, but what you gonna do with it? And he did a remix, and it kind of got around. Well, anyway, he got busted for, like, not paying his rent or something. Like, something really trife and ridiculous. And I made a comment on it. And <laughs> J.O. Felony, that's his name, J.O. Felony. And he got, uh, you know, all up in his feelings about it. But I was like, um... I'm sorry, was this not you on the news? And so I had to record a little piece of it and put it on there. And that didn't go well. So, yeah, those are my three Twitter beats. <laughs> Quali, Kid Frost, and J.O. Felony. So, wow, yeah, I didn't know. Because Quali's not on my radar because I don't... Other than when I catch one of his interviews um, on, on, his, on his podcast, he's just not on my radar but that's wild so when was this is this an ongoing thing or was this like a few months ago or is this just i mean this now, latest that was, that incident was, that was this month clearly that was it's been a month. pattern like within the last week or two wow. that it finally so, ended when he, when he finally got kicked off right he got kicked this off this was in the last two weeks yeah he got kicked off like the end of last week or something how do you like get that? kicked off of so, twitter Wow. Harassing. Nah, Twitter Twitter hasn't been playing lately, man. Um, they didn't start cracking down on people for a bunch of different reasons, from peddling clear misinformation to harassment. Twitter's trying to clean it up a little bit after years of criticism for not doing so. But the story that I was looking at was dated July 17th. And at that point, he had been harassing this woman for like two weeks. So we're talking about something that's been going on now for a month. And so he's off that platform. I think he's still on IG, but yeah, Twitter's done with him and oh. he seems to be done with Twitter. But the real issue here is the harassment of women. And it was a, a, a colorism critique. And yeah. he appeared with rabbit ears and Twitter fingers. Yeah, like what? So good, good luck to him with his Patreon album. Yeah, what was it? Wow. So don't be surprised if this podcast get out there and he hear about us, you know, offering this critique and he start coming through. And I'm like, dude, man, <laughs> he's going to pop up in the podcast. I, right? I wish yeah. he would, because he still owes me money from Rock the Bells uh, <laughs> 2012. So, yeah, it's like good to see you. You remember me? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't like you anyway. <laughs> Stay on the beat. <laughs> For me, it's a disappointment, man. Because as, yes. as for a person who you know has this knowledge itself and seemingly understands the plight that we go through as a people, 
yes. to take this stance to do these things, it's a disappointment. And it's yeah. like, you know, me, I'm like a Black Star fan. You know, I'm like, you know, I like Kwali, I mean, sure, more than than uh, James does. <laughs> and, you know, just to see this, these antics, it was like, it's just disappointing. Yeah, it's like we might expect this from other people who we consider right. to be troublesome for a bunch of different reasons. Exactly. We wouldn't expect this from you. Right. Exactly. We'd but expect you to be the person trying to hold these brothers accountable for treating black women this way. Right. Right. Now, have you either of you seen, um, I caught it on Amazon. It's called the Black Power Mixtape. And essentially what it is, is back in the... <clears throat> 60s there was a uh film crew from somewhere in europe maybe denmark i I think and they came to america and they were interviewing all of these prominent figures in uh black power movement and so they have and i guess through some process they were moving the office same old story somebody finds a box buried deep in storage and it's like what is this and they found this archival footage of these interviews with every, you know, Stokely Carmichael, Angela Davis, like people in the moment at the time. And so it's been uh, put together and then they kind of cut in between to more contemporary uh, individual and a range of people. They go, uh, they'll have Angela Davis on there critiquing or talking about an interview that she gave uh, and answers that she gave. Um, and it's, it's, fantastic but anyway Kwali is in there he's one of the people that they uh speak to and it was in a few minutes ago that's what I was referring to that if I had to pick someone from the hip-hop sphere to sort of represent in that position he would have been the guy who knew all this was going on but um at least it's coming. You know, to it's light. interesting. It's interesting. You make that point, though, right? Because part of the problem with the Black Power movement was that there were too many brothers who, while their politics were progressive from one end of nationalism, they were really regressive when it came to other things like being anti-black woman, being uh, homo antagonistic and things of that nature. So you bring in somebody like um, Eldridge Cleaver. Mm-hmm. Eldridge Cleaver's views on women and women's place in the movement were a problem. Asada Shakur talked about, yeah, Asada Shakur talked about this stuff in her autobiography that yeah. while there were some black men who had more progressive politics and viewed black women not as potential sexual conquest but as real partners in the struggle for liberation, mm-hmm. there were others that viewed them as their inferiors or their servants. And they bought into that macho cult that existed within the movement in general and within the Black Panther Party in particular. So while Kwali sort of um, you would think of him as having the bona fides to be part of that conversation, in some ways, it seems like his politics are reflective of some of the more nasty elements of that era that have Mm. sort of continued into this moment. Hmm. Mm, mm, mm. It doesn't pay. It doesn't pay. What, what did what did your boy JC Jay Z say when the when the family feuds nobody wins? We can't. Where, where are we going without the women? Where? Yeah, nobody how, wins when the family feuds. Yeah, and how, it's funny, man. As much as these people 
love Malcolm X, Malcolm would say the black woman is the most disrespected person in the world. Yeah. You know, and Malcolm's politics were if you want to evaluate a society and see how progressive they are, look at how they treat women. And if you look at and this is um, I don't think all brothers fall into this category, but too many do. If a brother is in distress, if a black boy or a black man is in distress, he can count on black girls and black women to come to his aid without hesitation, without fail. The opposite is not consistently true. Right. And that's a problem. Black a lot of a lot of black men have the problem of saying, What does she do? Yes. Instead of protecting, which is different from what our sisters do, which is protect him. Are you okay? How can we get through this? Brothers start off with, Well, what does she do? Yeah. And if you think about the movement for black lives, Mm -hmm. saying black lives matter should have been inclusive and needed no further clarification because that's all of us, right? Black men, black women, trans black people, queer black people, that's all of us. But then they had to come out with say her name because black girls and black women as victims or survivors of police brutality were being lost in the discussion. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, and, and mind you, there are brothers that are always about that action and will defend all of us tooth and nail to the end of the line. But there are too many of us that want all of these things from black girls and women that we're not willing to give back. Mm. And then in even worse scenarios, we criticize and reject them and refuse to recognize their grievances as legitimate. Yeah, there's a lot of growing up because now I know I've had more in my professional career. I've had more female black bosses than than any others. And there is a there's been a confidence. Um, They're not in constant competition to prove that they belong in the place that they're in. They, they're they in the place that they're in because they achieved that, that status. Whereas in those companies, there have been men who have been, uh, I suppose it comes down to insecurity, um, that resent that. Maybe, I mean, it's probably just a simple, it's sexism, obviously, but there's this resentment that, they still believe, much like we say with white people, they believe that they're privileged and entitled to a position superior to others. And these brothers think they are entitled to a position superior to whatever woman happens to be uh, ahead of them, whether that's financially or professionally, what have you. And and yeah, we don't we don't have enough discussions around that and uh to your point we definitely don't defend them in the same way that they defend us and that's a problem and uh and hip-hop hasn't helped i mean i've got to for as empowering as um i believe hip-hop has been has 
empowering and influential. Um, that is one of the areas, that's the primary area where it has fallen woefully short. Um, and just the treatment, the treatment, the depiction of, of black women has just been uh, atrocious. Yeah, I know like one of the things you want to get into at some point is that uh, epic versus battle between DMX and Snoop. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about that is that when you listen to some of those songs, they hit way different now through the lens of 2020 Ooh, boy. than they did when they came out back in the day. A lot of those songs didn't age well at all. Actually, they weren't a lot of some weren't good back then, but they really didn't age well. The the ironic part is that I've told this story in the past that when I was um, taking these DJ classes for about a year and you kind of had to kind of define what you were going to be playing, what you're going to be doing. I was doing a set um, at this uh, club thing and I threw on uh, Ain't No Fun. And it fit right in with what I was playing and everything. And I looked up across the room and there was a friend of mine who was also in the in the class, DJ AK-47, and black woman. And I was, so the song was playing and like she was cool with it and dancing. Everybody was kind of dancing around. And I looked at her and I'm just like, I'm a grown ass man. And I was just like listening to the lyrics, like the song from a musical standpoint is fantastic but the lyrics are so grimy that i was like i can't in good conscience play this and as i kind of like flipped through my catalog i was like a lot of this stuff i can't just be on one hand a responsible black man and then just play this in public in front of people especially in front of women and that is how I veered off and uh, got into more playing the old school funk R&B jams, things like that. But it was definitely that song. And when it came up in the battle, I was looking at the, um, <clears throat> the chat video. The chat went wild. And it wasn't all uh, men. I mean, just people who were in the room and... You know, I don't know what the age range was or is for the people who were who were viewing this uh, and taking it in, but like on one hand, you have the reaction to the song because of the music, but then the lyrics are yeah, they're very cringeworthy. And so yeah, I guess we might as well um, kind of roll roll on into that because since the last podcast we did there have been many more of these versus battles i think after we did the last podcast i think babyface and uh, teddy riley had been the most recent and since then there's been just a series of them and now that uh the social distancing has um Kind of eased up some of the restrictions now the artists are have the ones i've seen they've been in the same studio which uh basically takes all those 
audio internet Wi-Fi connection problems out of the mix. So now it's just a straight up battle of catalogs. And so it's still the same format. They each pick 20 songs and then play them and see what's going to happen. And what I've realized is that when RZA and Premier did their battle, I thought this was, I was looking at it more from a hip-hop standpoint. So when Premier dropped Royce the 5'9", boom, I thought that was like a rap. But it turns out in watching more of these battles that really it's not about so much, it doesn't even seem to be so much about the quality of the song. It seems to be who can drop the song that makes people go, oh, hey, oh, and, you know, blow up the chat. So, I've also noticed that a lot of people seem to be punching out of their weight class. Uh, or that whoever's making the matches isn't really fully taking things into account because there's been some mismatches. And in my opinion, we just had a, re a mismatch, which was DMX versus Snoop. And Dre, did you, uh, did you catch this one live or did you have to go back and catch the replay? Because I wasn't even aware I that it was happening until after pieces of it and then i went back and watched it and i well watched most of it and then i you know kind of looked through the songs and you know and initially as i told you guys late one night i had snoop winning in a he's gonna smoke him before it started you know no no pun intended i i, I had uh -huh. snoop smoking dmx smart man and, all and right. then oh oh and then I, I looked at the lineup and then i watched it and part of it is exactly what you said it's the impact of when you drop a record and what record it goes against now i know i have my bias of being a new yorker but i also know that i really was a big fan of that doggy style album so you drop something from that doggy style album, like, oh, winner, like automatically. I'm like that. And it's funny, actually, but it's so, well, I'll get back to my story. But so this matchup ended up when I did my count was closer for me than I thought. I, it was, he didn't, to me, Snoop didn't smoke, a, smoke DMX as bad as I thought he did. Maybe your calculator needs new batteries. <laughs> AB, a, did, uh, did you happen to catch this one? So first off, um, some of these matchups have been absolutely outstanding, right? Bounty Killer versus Beanie Man was, that was the best wild one. fun. That was wild fun. And it's the music, it's the vibe, it's the camaraderie between them. It's having this social moment with all of your people. And it certainly felt like a reggae set in a shine party. So that was epic. Jill Scott versus Erica Badu was like a mutual appreciation society. 
and I felt like we were all waiting for two hours so we could all go great. Like so, mm-hmm. that was that was mad fun. This one, I came into it like, listen, man, um, DMX has some bangers, but Snoop is a different kind of dude, right? Like Snoop is an MC's MC. Like Snoop got bars, and so I came into it thinking Snoop, right? Like this could end quickly and badly. But then as you go through the back and forth, and this is the lesson we all kind of learned, as you noted, watching the battle between DJ Premier and the RZA, it's about your set list. And it's about the flow of the set list. And DMX held his own, but I still think that when you look at the two of them together, Snoop is the better performer. Snoop is the better showman. Snoop is the superior MC, but Snoop was also not out there trying to crush this dude. Snoop was like, hey, man, uh, we know you've been going through it, but you mean something important to the culture. There was a moment when you were one of the hottest dudes on the planet in hip hop and DMX broke the mold at a time when if you were a dope MC and you were considered productive, you had one album, one project every two years. DMX came out with like three albums in three years, which at that time was unheard of. And all of those albums had bangers. And so this was a guy that's been in and out of jail. He's had substance abuse problems. He has some weight on him. He was talking about, yeah, I'm I'm drinking (laughs) Kool-Aid. And you saw Snoop really offering a public appreciation for what DMX meant to the culture and was vibing with DMX and was doing his lyrics. There were different points where X was like, yo, you you making me forget my own lyrics because you so hype. <clears throat> so Snoop didn't go out there trying to destroy him. And they had a good back and forth at the end. I would give the nod to Snoop. But I've seen places like Billboard and other places where they scored it in favor of DMX. Well, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I will say this, it, and especially lately, the 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 verses have been more celebrations and seeing these two together was like watching your two drunk uncles at the picnic at, at the barbecue like <laughs> the two they haven't seen each other in a long time having fun right. and i've been i've yet to see i haven't seen anybody talk about the 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 the, the fact that this was gate for gang relations and nobody's that, mentioned that wasn't it. lost on people in the live chat Right. Nope. People that aren't mentioning lost on in the act of like that's to me when I when I heard about it, I was like, wait, 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 what? And I was like, well, these two are cool. They know each other and they hang they hung with each other before. So it makes mm-hmm. sense. But to have the two of them together was something crazy for game. Like like I'm like, you have these this OG blood and this OG crip right. together partying. Basically partying. And I was just like, uh, I, I like this. <clears throat> So as far as the battle, song for song, I think I had to score something <laughs> like 12-8 or 11-9 to Snoop. <laughs> you like the... <laughs> you know what? Drake on a compu box. I, was, I, I am going to compu You were on... We th- you were reading my mind. I was about to say, if production, video production doesn't work out, you can go to Vegas and work for CompuBox. <laughs> There's always that one referee 
who's been paid off by the mob, who's got his score yeah, we got card. gymnastics. It's the Russian judge. <laughs> right. How? Oh, oh. It was. It was a great day for you know gang relations. It was a great day for whatever. A great day for hip hop and this and that. Blah blah blah. It was. Yeah, it I is. mean, it was. It was. But if we're talking about the battle, I mean. <laughs> This is not Snoop. If we're if we're gonna be setting matchups, Snoop would have to battle somebody like a Jay Z, an LL Cool J. Like, there's only a few MCs that can drop like hits, anthems. DMX has a couple in his bag, but I'm talking Snoop has smash hits, crossover hits, international club bangers. And I'm not even a huge Snoop fan to that point. If you go back several episodes of the podcast, I did one where I explained exactly where Snoop fell off. And in his early days, he was just a monster on the mic. He was hungry, like a lot of MCs. Um, But then he pops up with some of the stuff with Pharrell that, like, that drop it like it's hot. Now, do I have that in my rotation? No. But do I know that that's a smash hit? Yeah. And Snoop was dropping things like that. Like, there got to a point in the middle where Snoop seemed like he, like, eased off a little bit and he started throwing in some of the No Limit uh, songs. But even the songs that are problematic. Ain't no fun. Granted, the lyrics are outdated and misogynistic and terrible. The song is still better than whatever... Um, DMX could have pulled out because it's he just, played a, he played the Aaliyah song. The Aaliyah, yeah, that's the, the Aaliyah song. Exactly yeah, the the Aaliyah, the Aaliyah song. We don't even know what it is. Just the Aaliyah song. We don't know. Um, no, it's uh, or, uh, get back home. I think it's called. Come back, know. come back in one piece. Come back in one piece. Yeah. Yeah, but this is the other thing too. Like um. You got DMX working with Young Swizz when Swizz was breaking in. You got Snoop working with an established Dr. Dre. Mm-hmm. Right. And then even the stuff that he was doing with No Limit, there were some bangers on some of those projects, right? Yeah. And then you get Snoop working with a fully developed Pharrell. Yeah. And you can say what you want about Beautiful. Beautiful was a banger. Beautiful. Like, Beautiful still slaps. Yeah. And Snoop's lyrics weren't Damn. good, but, but but I also I also don't want I don't I don't want us to get caught up in the what's a smash, what was what what hit Billboard, like it's also about the song that you like, the song that you like, not what everybody else likes, and okay. that's one of the things that comes down to your set list because James, you know, a DJ could have a bad set list. And the crowd isn't with them. Yeah. The crowd can fall off. Yeah. DMX had a very good set list. Yes. And so even though Snoop has, and this is the thing about Snoop, and this is why I said, oh, Snoop, in the beginning, before it happened, I said, oh, Snoop's going to smoke him because I know Snoop has all of these albums. Yeah. And he has Doggy Style with a classic album where, like, you can't beat damn near any song on that album. 
because of Dr. Dre, you know, honed it together. Yeah. Like, you know, he put it together like a mastermind. But then Snoop didn't have the greatest of set lists. And, and DMX, that creates an opening. Right. And so DMX has this very, you know, he has some joints, but DMX had, he went for what he had. He grabbed only his platinum pieces. I'm only taking these diamond and platinum pieces. A couple of Snoop joints, I was just like, why do you play this? Why, why'd you play this? Like, you have other joints. Why'd you play this? And it could be because Snoop was like, oh, you know, I can't, I don't have a song that can beat this song, so I'm just gonna go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna wrap it up, you know, it's a loss. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, you, you, you know, you lost the round, so you just, whatever, you know. <laughs> you, see, you run around the ring a couple of times till the bell rings. But see, that's the thing. In this kind of battle, your set list doesn't matter if you're dropping songs that make the chat room explode. And I say that because there are instances where, like, let's say uh, somebody drops a song that they did with Drake. And then somebody's like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then they drop some other song that has to, that ties into that. Is like a response. Then I've seen it be like, oh, okay, he did it. But when when DMX is dropping, what's that? Y'all go make me lose my mind. What's the name of that? Party Up? Is that oh, the yeah. name of it? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. So he drops that. Snoop doesn't have to have a, a set list. He just has to drop something equivalent or more popular, spectacular than that. And I don't, I mean, DMX has a bunch of regional, he has a lot of regional songs and like three or four, like, big hits. X gonna but give see, it to, to you. I love to it. To Dream's point, though, DMX played to his strengths and went for the high energy bangers. And you're like, yo, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, that slaps. Oh, yeah, that was, that was hot. You know, where Snoop, Snoop was going through different phases of his career like there was a point where he was like, yeah play some of my no limit stuff but to your point james there was also a place where he was like yeah play this from back when i was a real rapping ass dude like him acknowledging like yeah i was yeah. a different dude early when i was really rapping rapping and dropping bars versus you know just kind of making music to make music yeah because he played the shiznit and g's and hustlers which apparently were both freestyles and yes yeah, so i like I said, it, it just seems like DMX has uh, what X gonna give it to you. To me, that's 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 my go-to DMX song. If that song, I want to punch somebody's mama. Just like ah, hey, hey, watch it get quietly, quietly. I know, right? I want to punch somebody's <laughs> daddy. I'm gonna punch your daddy. Ah, ah, ah. I mean, that's great, but. I just don't think this was... I think there would have been a more competitive matchup from a catalog standpoint. Now, from an entertainment standpoint, yeah, it was entertaining. They were both cool. To me, in the bat, I don't know if either of you went back and watched the video, but there was a point in the middle where they took a little break, and so DMX went off, and Snoop was there and just talking and kind of freestyling. And then they threw on um, X-Clan, Grand Verbalizer, What Time Is It?, and Snoop knew all the words. He was just flowing. Yes. I was like, yo. 
Yes. Made me go look up I was, I was shocked that the DJ went into that bag, right? Because people don't give X-Clan the props either. But no, it was it was some real dope hip hop stuff. But I also think that if sometimes you play up to or down to the level of competition. Yeah. If this yeah. was Snoop versus Jay-Z or Snoop versus Nas. Yeah. It's a different playlist. I don't think Nas is in the conversation. Nas needs maybe Nas and Nas and see that's another thing we'll need to come up with because in that Jay-Z Snoop LL category I don't think there's too many people who are in there I agree then, then I there's that lower I see, tier I don't see a, I don't see a lot of people getting close to them I, I can I can sign on to that and then I did hear that uh, they were talking about Puffy versus Dre now that would be an equal on par matchup. Although I think Puffy would, well, I don't know. That would be a good one. But I heard Dre's like, nah, I ain't doing that. I'm a billionaire. I ain't got time for that. <laughs> Although this he might be half me. a billionaire after he gets through with this divorce. So you never know. He's like, this is beneath me. Yeah. So the no, but the, but the, but the thing about it though, um, and I don't know, like I haven't seen every verses. But I do know that there seemed to be a culture shift after Jill Scott and Erica Badu. Yeah. Because they were really dapping each other up. Like, oh, yeah, I really love when you did this track or I love that you did this thing. Like, you know, they were they were throwing some jabs, but they were also two women secure in themselves, in their music, where they are in their careers and their lives. And so it made for a different vibe. And it was a fun night. And then when I look at what happened with Beanie Man and um, Bounty Killer, that was a that was a great night also. Um, so you've had those type of appreciations. And, you know, there's the the old school blood and the old school crib doing it together. But there's also the East Coast, West Coast thing, man. Like like even listening to this conversation, I can see how it hits the nerves. Like it put people in a bad place and folk died out of that. Right. Like you had people who were really willing to go to war in hip-hop for some east coast west coast stuff yeah and it was wild watching it happen because if you're me and dre two new york dudes of a certain age ralph mcdaniels the vid kid and video music box introduced us to hip-hop from all over the country so when we saw nwa straight out of compton we're like yeah they're not from around here dressed like that but this song bangs yeah and we could appreciate it right and then all of a sudden a couple of years later everybody want to go to war and i'm like why and so for dmx and snoop to come together as mcs to do what they did the way that they did it hopefully some of these young cats that still want to go to war will rethink that um so there's the hip-hop conversation and yeah um snoop is in a different weight class snoop is an omega level mc and x as dope as x is with the energy and everything he's he's another tier or two down speaking but of weight classes the broader oh, significance not nah, they did something important that night well speaking of weight classes on just a petty note anybody notice why is snoop still so skinny snoopy working out man too much maybe he needs to <laughs> slow down get some carbs at one point they said uh dmx was going to take off his shirt if the views got to a certain point 
And DMX said, yeah, we'll look like the number 10 up in this piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Snoop just I, made it a high metabolism dudes, man. Yeah, I thought we gave you the munchies. <laughs> right. <laughs> so It's still a high metabolism dude.